Our Heavenly Father, we do confess and believe, Lord, that you shape and form a people through the power of your word, that your spirit convicts us, your spirit teaches us, your spirit changes us as we are saturated with your word. And we ask God that during this time, you would do those very things. So please speak to us and make us more like your son. Give us faith in him. You tell us that the people of old were commended by you because of their faith. And you tell us that we receive commendation from you by faith as well. And so, Lord, strengthen us during this time to look to Jesus and follow him in holiness all the way to the end. And we ask it in his wonderful name. Amen. I'm going to be reading Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, up through verse 6 of chapter 11. Hebrews 10, 35 through 11, 6. Um, hopefully you brought a Bible with you. You're going to need one in front of you today. And so uh, please grab the one that's in front of you there in the pew, or I know many of you all look on your phones, but please keep that open and in front of you during our time together this morning. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming on will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. For by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Oh, Heavenly Father, please speak to our hearts during this time. Show us the way of righteousness is by faith. And may we be a faithful people as we follow hard after Jesus all the way, either until death or until he comes back for us. May we be found faithful and receive your commendation and your pleasure. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the highlights of my childhood was going to the Great Smoky Mountain National Park down in Tennessee and primarily into Gatlinburg. And maybe some of you all have been there before yourselves. Uh, I appreciated the national park there. It's just a beautiful, beautiful place. Love the mountains. And part of my desire would be to go and visit a lot of the other national parks, especially out west. Maybe you've been to some of them. I know Dan up in the booth has been to Yosemite. I want to go to Yosemite. 
I want to see the giant trees out in California. I love trees. I've heard the one that you can drive through. Have you ever seen the picture of the one that you can drive through the middle of it? I heard it fell at one point, you know, disappointment. Plenty of other big trees out there, though. I want to see those. I want to see Yellowstone. I want to see the Grand Canyon. These places are highlights within the borders of our country, and these wonderful, beautiful places have been preserved for people to go and visit. And then when they're there, they have a sense of awe at what they see about what God has made. Other parts of the landscape of our country, maybe they don't do that quite as much as these do, but tens of thousands of people, they go and visit them every year to be immersed in those places. As we journey through the Bible, there are places that we visit that are like those national parks. Now, I know that all Scripture is breathed out by God, shaping the person of God for every good work. I understand that, that all Scripture is useful, right? But there are some parts of Scripture that people come back to again and again, visiting them because they seem to be immensely useful. Places like Romans chapter 8. Some of you all might say that's your favorite chapter in the entire Bible. It's like a national park. You just want to keep coming back and visiting it again and again. Angel this morning was teaching out of Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. That's a place that people visit often. Isaiah chapter 6. Maybe the Sermon on the Mount. The Upper Room Discourse, starting at John chapter 13. And we certainly would look at Hebrews chapter 11 as one of these places. You know, I've, I've enjoyed preaching through this book, but the whole time I've been waiting for Hebrews 11. But before we get there and immerse ourselves in that beautiful biblical national park, there's some things that I want to point out to you in chapter 10 that I think it will help us because it will set the stage for what we will see when we, be, when we enter into what some have called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I hope that you will be encouraged this morning by what we see. But I want you to know that Hebrews 11 does not come out of nowhere. It naturally follows this writer's train of thought that starts back in chapter 10. So look again with me at Hebrews 10. 35 to 39, and I think you'll find this helpful. So I'll read it again. It says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So hopefully, even right there, you're already seeing that this man is a master of transitions, for one. He's showing us about how we are to be a people who have faith and preserve our souls. And he's going to point us to people who have gone before us who have had faith and preserved their souls. He alluded to this back in chapter 6. There was a similar kind of warning that came in 6 that comes again in 10. 
And he says, but I've got a better hope for you based on what you have already done in the past. And he tells them to imitate those who have gone before them who had faith. And he starts talking about Abraham. It's the same thing that he does here. He gives a warning. He gives an encouragement to have faith. And he's going to give examples of those people who had faith that have gone before us. And so here in Hebrews chapter 10, setting the stage for chapter 11, he is telling us about these people who have endured to the end. And at this point, they will receive their great reward. Look at that in verse 35. He says, great reward. That's out in front of you, a great reward. God has no problem using reward as a motivating tool for his people. And we do that in life with our kids, do we not? We motivate them with reward. They help them to do hard things. You can do this. The ice cream party is out there in the future if you just keep going. And they're like, oh, gosh, i got to have the ice cream party. I can do this, you know? Laurie, just a little while ago, telling us about the camps that are going to be coming up in the summer. Well, there's some things that the kids have to do in order to be able to go to camp. The camp is out there. They want to go, and they know that they can do hard things to be able to go to camp. They memorize all those verses. They have their service projects that they have to do. All that's preliminary, but they know that that is out there in the future, and they can keep going and do those things because that is their, their great reward. And the people in this church that are being written to in the book of Hebrews are promised a great reward. Look at verse 36. He says, for you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So he is telling these people, if you keep doing the will of God, you will receive what God has promised to you. And what is that? What is it that they are being promised? He quotes a very important passage from the Old Testament here to tell us what is being promised. It's from Habakkuk chapter 2. The Apostle Paul, he quotes this verse two times in his letters, once in Galatians 3, another time in Romans chapter 1. And it's the one in Romans 1 that Martin Luther once read and was converted. He saw finally there what it was that makes a man righteous. How can I please God? How can I be called righteous by God? He saw it in Romans chapter 1 which was a quotation from Habakkuk chapter 2. He says, Yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. This is the reward there that is promised in those two previous verses. The great reward in verse 35, and receiving what is promised there in verse 36. In a little while, he says, Jesus will come for you. It'll happen. That is God's promise to you. He is in heaven right now waiting for the day when he will return for his people. And in Revelation chapter 22, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. He's coming with his reward for God's people. Keep going. Do not throw away your confidence, he says there. Don't toss it aside. Don't give up. Don't let faith fail in between now and then because Jesus will come for his people. So that encouragement for this people is to endure. Don't throw away what's been given to you. Well, what does that look like? What does it mean to keep going? You know, that sounds great, does it not? Keep going, keep going. Well, what am I doing? 
He defines that from that next verse quoted from Habakkuk. We're told there what it means to keep going. My righteous one shall live by faith. That's what we're being told. That's what it means to endure. My righteous one shall live by faith. So everything revolves around this thing called faith. This is important for us. Again, this sets the stage for Hebrews chapter 11. What does it mean to be righteous? To have faith. If anybody wants to be called righteous by God, that is what he must have. Faith. Righteousness and faith, they go hand in hand. They're together. They are joined together. You cannot have one without the other. You want to be righteous? Faith must be there. Look at the second half of that verse. It says, and if he shrinks back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. This is God speaking here. And he's saying with the person who shrinks back, falls away, fails to have faith, his soul has no pleasure in that person. That is what it looks like to not have faith, to shrink back. Throwing away your confidence in verse 35 means to shrink back. Failing to have endurance in verse 36 is shrinking back. Being destroyed in verse 39 is shrinking back from faith. God tells us here in this quote from Habakkuk that he has no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, the one who has no faith. But if we turn that on its head, that statement, and ask the question, well, what is God pleased with? He has no pleasure in the soul that shrinks back. What is God pleased with then? What pleases the Lord? He is pleased with the one who has faith and endures. This is so good to know. You ever wonder in your mind and in your heart, like, how can I please God? Several times in Scripture, we are told things like that. How can I know that I am pleasing to the Lord? And right here, we are being told, if you desire to be pleasing to Him, it comes by faith. That pleases the heart of God. And so there are three primary truths that this quote from Habakkuk brings out that are important for us to see as we get ready to go into Hebrews 11. And I'll put them in Q&A form here, just try to be as clear as I can. How can someone be called righteous by God? How can someone be called righteous and good by God himself, by faith? Who is it that pleases the Lord? It pleases him. It's the person who lives by faith. And who will receive the reward of God, that promise that when Jesus Christ comes back for you, you will have your great reward? Who receives that promise? It is the person who believes the promise of God and endures by faith all the way to the end. So that sets the stage for what we're going to see here in Hebrews 11. And in the early verses of this chapter, we're shown two men that we're going to focus on today who embody this kind of faith. And God has preserved their names, their stories in his word to encourage us to keep going 
and show us what faith looks like. And if you know how the Apostle Paul would often write to people, that's what he did. He said, use me as an example of what it looks like to have faith. He's always pointing to people to himself saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We need examples, do we not? So how often have you said something like, somebody says, why don't you just go out and do such and such? You're like, I don't know what that looks like. Like, what does that even mean? What do I do first? Well, God has left us examples in Scripture on what it looks like to have this kind of faith endure to the end and receive the promises that he has given to his people. They are here for us. God wants us to keep going. He is not trying to trip you up along the way. He's not trying to drop you in a corn maze and you don't know the way out. God is not trying to make it hard for us. He's putting these people here so that we will know what it looks like to keep going. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So he's just told us we need to have faith. Now he's starting to describe faith. What are its features? So this is not like a complete definition of what faith is. It's just pointing out some of the particulars of it to give us an idea of what it is and what it looks like. You know, back when I was younger, you know, I guess it wasn't that long ago, at least to some of you, but I can remember certain features that you look for in a car. What I wrote down here is PDL. What's PDL? Does anybody remember that? I'm talking about a car here. Power door locks. You know, like, I need power door locks. You know, <laughs> like that was a real key feature. You know, like you didn't have to any longer push the button down. You could push it and all of them pop up. You know, that was like the feature for the cars. The other one was PW. You wanted some PWs. Well, some power windows and the AC. You got to have that, at least down where I'm from, you did. Up here, not so much. But you wanted the air conditioning, right? So those are the only features that you really even cared about on a car. If you got a, a sunroof, well, man, like you're really flying high. But those few features you needed. Today, you know, you see the commercials on TV where the guy's clapping going down the road as his truck's driving itself. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want that feature. No, thank you. Nor do I want anybody else to have that feature either, right? I still just want the PDL, the PW, and the AC. So that tells us about what kind of features are in a car. Here we're being told about some features of faith. What are the features of faith that he wants us to see? He's told us here that biblical faith is forward-looking. It's forward-looking. It looks Ahead. That's what he's saying there. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Hoped for things are things out there in the beyond. They have not happened yet. We're looking toward them. So faith is looking forward at things not seen and believing that they are there. Trusting that God's word is true. If he's promised it, it's coming. And faith lives in light of that. So faith sees those promises as being real. So real, in fact, it's as real as the chair that you are sitting in. And you start to shape your life based on your belief in that truth. So if you believe, this is what Jesus would teach, right? If you believe that he is coming back for you, you will be like those people who kept their wicks trimmed, always watching. 
It changes the way that you live if you think that he's coming back for you. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to live as a holy man or woman of God because I do not want him to come back and find me unfaithful. Jesus taught a lot about his return. And here we're told that faith is looking toward his return, the reward that is being promised to us, and it changes the way that I live right now. And so faith starts to put form and shape to my life to live in a particular way. Though you can't see it, he is saying, you believe it. And your faith shows what you believe. And he gives us an example here that speaks to his point about some things that we could not see. He says, by faith, this is verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen, I can see out there things, right? I can see those things, but they were made out of what is not visible. They came out of nothing. So he's saying, you look out there in the world and you see that something exists, how did it get there? How did it get there? We live in a world that came from somewhere. And every human being has to grapple with this, do they not? So many people just want to dismiss it and just accept what they're being taught in schools and whatever else. The earth just banged. All of it's there. Well, that's ridiculous. How did it get there? So scientists, in a most unscientific kind of way, they tell us that the world just happened one day, that things came out of no things. Well, that never happens in any other scientific experiment that they've ever seen before, and yet they believe that. But things do not come out of no things unless God brought it into existence out of no things. He spoke it. He just said, let there be light. And what does the word say? And there was light. You know, let it be, and it happened. His word is powerful and creative. That's what we're told in God's word. That that's how the world got here. We did not witness that, did we? We didn't see that take place. Why would you believe it? Because God's word says that's how it happened. God is telling us this is how the world came into existence. That requires a kind of faith, does it not? We believe in what we did not see. Now we see the world, and we ask questions, and God tells us how this world came into being. And it makes a lot more sense than what all those people out there are trying to tell us to believe. But there is a God who is powerful, and he created the world by the power of his word. That's all it took. And so that changes the way we live in God's world by believing that, does it not? If we believe that there is a God who made this world, which means he made me, that I belong to him, that I'm accountable to him, I'm supposed to live for him by his rules that he has instituted in the creation of the world. That changes the way that I function right from the start if I believe that. Does it not? That's why we live in a world right now where everybody rejects authority because they don't want there to be a God who made the world. 
They reject the order of creation and all that that entails because they do not want to be told there are boundaries that you live by that have been given to you by a God who created the world. But we are not those people. We believe that there is a God who made all things and we live according to his design and under his authority. That is at the heart of what faith is, taking God at his word, even though I do not see him or I do not see right now what he has promised. I don't see them with my eyes, but there are eyes inside of here that tell me that those things are true. That's at the heart of faith. And we now start to see here the list of those people who have gone before us who put biblical faith on display. And he starts with a man named Abel. Verse 4, look with me. He tells us about Abel. Very early in Scripture, this man comes on the pages. We're told here, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How many of you all remember the story of Abel and his brother Cain? Those two men, they brought their sacrifices to God. We're told that Cain is a man of the earth. He's a gardener. He grows things. He brought his grown things, these vegetables or whatever they were, as an offering to the Lord, his crops. Abel is a shepherd, and so what does he bring? He brings a lamb. Abel's offering is accepted, but Cain's is not. What's the difference between these two men? I've read a lot of different ideas about this over the years, and that Abel brought a living sacrifice, a blood offering, Cain did not, things like that. But that has nothing to do with the argument here. That's not what we're being taught. The man who wrote this letter, whoever he was, certainly knew his Bible, did he not? We've learned that over these last many weeks together. He knew his Bible. And he looks back in his Bible at Genesis chapter 4, and what does he see there? What does he see in the relationship that, or whatever took place back there in that offering? He sees that God has favor for Abel. He sees favor, he sees regard, he sees respect being given to Abel by God, but those things were not given to his brother Cain. In short, he sees that God was pleased with Abel's offering, but he was not pleased with Cain's. Abel had something, did something that was pleasing to the Lord. Cain did not. In fact, one of the translations for these verses back in Genesis says this. It says, but Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them, and the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. And what I want you to hold on to or grab hold of in these verses right here is the word pleased. Pleased. And again, this is taking us back to Habakkuk chapter 2, back in chapter 10, right? What pleases the Lord? What is he pleased with? Remember? It's faith. It's faith. We can rest assured that anytime we read in Scripture that God is pleased with someone, that that someone has faith. Because without faith, we'll find out in a minute, it's impossible to please Him. 
Only the person of faith is pleasing to God. That's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us here. And so when he goes back and reads in his Bible and see, sees God giving favor to Abel, sees God being pleased with Abel, what does he know about Abel? He knows he's a man of faith. And that's the way he offered up his sacrifice with those animals. He had the attitude of faith toward God. He had a delight in God, a love for God, a desire to please God and be near to Him, knowing that that sacrifice that he was offering up, that it served a purpose to cleanse his sins so that he could draw near to a God like this. And so what can we infer about Cain then? That Cain had none of those thoughts that he did not have this attitude of faith as he came to present his offering to the Lord. He was just doing what he was told, going through the motions, maybe grumbling underneath. Gosh, why do I have to come and do this? This is so silly. The faith in Abel said, I delight to do what pleases my God. And if my God says to do this, my soul rejoices. I know it is for my good. That was the difference between these two men. And that is why God was pleased with Abel and looked on him with favor. Faith was all the difference between Cain and his brother Abel. Next comes Enoch. Enoch, look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So I ask you this morning, do you remember the story of Enoch? Remember the story of Enoch? I mean, you remember Cain and Abel, right? Where was Enoch at? We don't remember the story of Enoch because there was no story of Enoch. Enoch got like two verses in Genesis. He got two verses in Genesis. Showed up in the middle of a genealogy. You know, those things you love to read back in Genesis and the book of Numbers. You know, those stories where such and such beget such and such, and he lived 600 years, and he beget such and such, and he lived 450 years, and you start to glaze over a little bit. Well, Enoch showed up in one of those. And he got his begetting and the begetting in however many years, but it also gives us a note about Enoch there. It says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, but the Lord took him. That's all we got. That is the story of Enoch. And yet when this writer here looks back in his Bible, he sees that as important enough to include in the hall of faith. What is it that he's seeing in Enoch? Why on earth, of all the people that are there in the Old Testament to include, why did he choose to give us Enoch? It's a strange thing that we're told about this man. It says he walked with God. That's what Genesis tells us. He walked with God. And without trying to get too technical, I think it's helpful to know 
But the writer of Hebrews, he uses a particular kind of Bible that some other people in the New Testament times that they also used, and it was called the Septuagint. It is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And so most of the known world at that time spoke Greek. And so there was a Bible that was Greek. It was the Greek Bible. That's what they read. That's what they studied. They didn't go back and read the Hebrew. They read the Greek, and that was what was called the Septuagint. So this is the Bible that these people used during this time, and we know that he used this particular Bible because of the quotes that he writes down in this letter. So whenever he writes an Old Testament quote, they follow the wording of the Septuagint. You might ask, well, why is that important this morning? Because in the Septuagint, back in Genesis chapter 5, where Enoch is described, the Septuagint does not say that Enoch walked with God. That is not the way it describes him. Do you know what it says instead? It says that Enoch pleased God. Enoch pleased God. And why that wording was chosen, I don't know for sure. Other than the fact that God does not walk with someone whom he is not pleased. Right? I mean, that just makes sense. Does it not? That's just the way the Bible talks. Walking with means fellowship or friendship. It means that there is pleasure between two individuals spending time with one another. So it translates it, God was pleased with Enoch. So when the writer of Hebrews looks back in his Bible and he sees the words, Enoch pleased God, what does he immediately know? Again, Habakkuk chapter 2. Who is it that pleases the Lord? Only the person who has faith. Well, that's why he chose Enoch. He sees the pleasure of God on a man, and he says the only way that God was pleased with this man and then took him, and by took him means come and be with me. That's what he did. Enoch walked with God, and he was not one day because God took him. He had the favor of God because he had faith in God. And so neither Abel nor Enoch are described in the pages of Scripture as having faith. Not back in the Old Testament, they are not. But they're being described as pleasing to God. That means they did have faith. Does that make sense? We could use a logical statement like this. All men who please God have faith. Abel and Enoch pleased God. Therefore, Abel and Enoch had faith. Let's do another one. All men who have faith are pleasing to God. If you have faith, that is being described here, what can you know? You are pleasing to God. That's a pretty important truth to know. And so then as we get to verse 6, we can see through this description here of Enoch and Abel that chapter, or verse 6 does not come out of nowhere. Look at what it says. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible to do what? Please God 
without faith. And he just saw that both of these two men pleased God. And he knows they had faith. No faith, no pleasure. And so faith equals the pleasure of God. It's not based on whether or not you feel like you are pleasing to God. That's often where it comes from, right? Or we think that it comes from. If I feel the pleasure of God, it must rest on me. But we're told here how we can know for sure in our hearts that we are pleasing to God, and it is if we have faith. You trust in the promises of God that Jesus has done everything necessary for you, that you cannot earn it on your own. You cannot contrive this within yourself. It is given to you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. All has been done. All has been finished. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And if I am looking to Him by faith, trusting in the Son of God, I know that God is pleased with me. I have His pleasure. And I ask you this morning, if you can tell me something better than knowing that the maker of the universe, that the savior of the world looks at you as an individual and has pleasure in you. That you can know that his smile rests on you. Is there anything, I don't know, is there anything better that strikes a chord inside of us as human beings that is better than that? God is pleased with me. I hope this morning that that truth pleases your soul, that it gets down there underneath something and says, ah. It's unmentioned here in these verses, but it goes without saying that Abel and Enoch, that they were men who were pleased with the pleasure of God. That they delighted in knowing that God's pleasure rested on them. So true faith puts our pleasure in God on display by the way that we live. Our choices are going to reflect our desire to please the Lord. And so this morning, as you think on your life, do your choices and how you live reflect your pleasure in the pleasure of God, your desire to honor Him in all things. My pleasure is going to be wrapped up in His. And to not have His pleasure will destroy mine. So my pleasure and the pleasure of God are tied together as well. I want more than anything else in my soul to be pleasing to Him, and He is telling me right here how that happens. Enoch loved to walk with God. He loved it. He loved the fellowship and friendship of his God, and his life reflected that. All of that is summed up in the statement, he walked with God. And the thought that came to my mind, and it's probably not the greatest of illustrations, but the thought that came to my mind here is about a dog and his master, or a dog and his owner. You know, the dog delights in pleasing his owner, does he not? At least the dog that I've got in my mind that's in my house, she loves to please her owner. And it seems that her delight in living even is wrapped up in mine. 
And when she knows that I'm not pleased with something that she's done, she wears it on her face. She slinks around the house, you know. But when she knows that I am pleased, she is pleased. She seems to want nothing more than to do what delights me. Faith, brothers and sisters, seeks to honor our good Father. And the place where that starts is believing who He says that He is, who He's shown that He is, and that He will do what He says He will do. And then seek to love that God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To bring honor to Him. So can you say this morning that pleasing God is your highest pleasure? To be with Him in a relationship, a mutual pleasure, is the greatest of all rewards. I think that is summed up in that statement of Enoch. He walked with God. He walked with God. Do you walk with God and therefore know that you are pleasing to Him? We're promised there in verse 6 that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I have to imagine in my mind that if I'm trying to think of what it looks like for God to be my rewarder, that His rewards are probably a whole lot better than what my mind can come up with right now. But I can assure you that two things are included in the reward of God based on what we see in these verses. Two things, and we're going to close with this. What is included in God's reward? The first one is a knowledge of His pleasure today. This is so good. Some of you have spent a great deal of your lives chasing after the pleasure of somebody that you love. You've chased it. You've pursued it. It's almost like that's what your life revolves around. So if you could just hear one time, from a mom or a dad or a husband or a wife, or maybe it's from a grown child that you love. If you could just hear from them that you are wonderful and I delight in you. I love you. I delight in you. I find pleasure in you. It's almost like your whole life revolves around seeking that from that person, whoever that is. You've arranged your schedule a hundred times. You have spent countless dollars, shown your own appreciation of that person, all so that you might have their smile and just know that it rests on you. You've got it. You finally attained it. And maybe you have received it. Maybe finally. But maybe you haven't. I hope you have. But what you need to understand is that your pursuit of that person's pleasure was always meant to point you to the overwhelming pleasure of a heavenly father. And he is telling you right here that you have it by faith in his son. There is nothing better, nothing, than knowing that that good God looks down and says to you, you are good. That's even what verse 2 is saying. If you look back, I didn't touch this a few minutes ago. It says, for by it, the people of old received their commendation. Who did they receive it from? God. 
He looked at Enoch and said, I'm pleased with you. I love you. I delight in you. You are good to me. And we're being told here that we can know that same thing, that God will give you a commendation. And it is his pleasure. It's his affirmation of those who delight in him as a father, who look to him as the father, that my pleasure is now wrapped up in his. All those other people that I was seeking to please and have their smile, I wanted that more than anything. I would do anything for it. And you should have had it from those who loved you, I'm sure. But they were always meant to point you toward a God who will say to you through Jesus Christ, your Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. And that he looks at you right now where you are as you have faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, you have my commendation. You have my affirmation. I am pleased with you because of your faith in him. It's that simple. Trusting in a complete Savior. Everything is done. Sin is dealt with. Obedience is complete. The perfect delight that the Father has for His Son, Jesus. Think about this. This is overwhelming. That the delight that the Father has for His Son, Jesus, now rests upon you because you have trusted in Him. I've said this again and again as we've gone through Hebrews. It's almost like this is all too good to be true, but it's not. These are the promises of God. And there is something freeing in knowing that the Father's pleasure rests on you. It frees you. Because right now, let me just get, I know that, go back to that example of whoever it is. Maybe you haven't had this experience at all, but I'm sure many of you all have. But there is that one person that you are constantly trying to seek their pleasure. You are in a kind of prison. You're kind of enslaved, chasing after that pleasure and that smile that you may never get. And your schedule is arranged, all like you'll rearrange everything just trying to please that person. There is something freeing right here in knowing that the Father of all fathers' pleasure rests on you, that you do not have to re-earn it every day. You never have to walk on eggshells around Him and worry about being pleasing to Him. Am I doing the right thing? Oh, I don't know. A child who lives in a home where he never has to question his parents' love, that child is free. He's free doesn't have to think about it, doesn't have to earn it today, doesn't have to worry about it. He just lives out of the freedom of knowing that he is loved and secure. I can't lose the pleasure of my parents. They just love me. That parental love is a shelter for that child. Frees that child to live as a son or a daughter. Just be. Who the Son sets free, brothers and sisters, we are told, is free indeed. Jesus sets us free 
to currently know that we are living with the Father's pleasure. You don't earn it. It's His. And He freely grants it to you in Him. And so I ask you, are you free? Because this truth right here has the ability, the power to set you free. It changes the way that you see other relationships. It changes the way that you see all of those people. Based on how you now see God, he is pleased with me. I am a free man. That's first. You can have a knowledge of his pleasure today because it tells us who is the one that he is pleased with. The one who has faith. Lastly, what is included in God's reward? A final affirmation of his pleasure on that day. Now, I should emphasize that day, meaning the final day. When Jesus Christ comes back to gather his people together and judge the world, that we can rest assured that on that day that we have the Father's pleasure. We don't need to worry on that day. Jesus Christ is coming back. And he will make for you God's pleasure visible. You will see it with eyes. You will see his smile. You'll see his delight in gathering his people underneath his wings. You'll see it with new eyes. You can't see it right now. Not with your physical eyes, but on that day you will. He will not come back in wrathful fury on those who delight in him. He will be pleased with you and he will gather you together. Oh, that is good. So back to Habakkuk chapter 2. The coming one will come and he will not delay. All of our great reward is wrapped up in that statement. Faith is forward-looking, remember? It believes that I have the pleasure of God today by faith, and it believes that faith will become sight when Jesus returns. Jesus Christ is our great reward. Everything that we have promised to us by God is wrapped up in Him. And when He comes back for us, we gain all those promises then. And in this way, I find this interesting that Enoch is a picture to us of the reward of faith. Again, this is what was said about Enoch. Enoch walked with God, pleased God, had faith in God. We know all of that is true. And he was not. And God took him. Do you see how Enoch is a kind of picture of reward of faith? Because Enoch had faith in God here on earth. God gave him his great reward when he took him. What does it mean that he took him? Where did he go? To be with his God. That was the great reward. Being with the one forever whom he walked with in whom he pleased. There was nothing better for Enoch 
than being in the presence of God, never to be separated from Him again, always assured of God's delight, receiving from God the commendation that I've already mentioned, well done, good and faithful servant. We have to think, you know, who was Enoch to hear words like that? To have that kind of weight poured out on him where God would speak to this man and say, you are good. Or being told the same thing. That, that those words of God's pleasure are given to every person who has trusted in him, walked with him, had faith in him. And there will be no day like the one for the people of God, like that one when Jesus returns. Because our great reward is with Him. Our great pleasure, wrapped up in His, all in one place, uninterrupted forever with Him when He comes and brings us to Himself. And He looks at you and He says to you, Quentin, and Ed, and Carl, well done. You are good. You are my child. And I have to imagine that words and commendation and affirmation that we are pleasing to God like that, those words will never, ever get old. And those words are ours forever by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are telling us here that you delight in your people. There may be people in this room right now who have doubts that every day when they wake up, that they do not have your smile, that they need to re-earn your pleasure. They need to live in a particular way and dot all the I's and cross all the T's and just do everything just right so they can know that you smile at them. And you were telling us that it is simply by faith in your son, Jesus, that a sinner like me can be forgiven, can be cleansed, can be promised great rewards that I did not earn, that Jesus did. That all of those are ours. And the smile that you have for your son, Jesus, is also reserved for the rest of your children, us. It is incredible, the promises that are here for us. And I pray, Lord, that the people in this room will grab hold of these truths and be set free by knowing that they are pleasing in your sight in Him. Lord, please do this work. Make us a more holy people. I pray that we will endure till the end. And if we endure to the end, it is because your strength has upheld us. You will get the praise and the glory even for that. You are a good father. And so please richly indwell this church and lead us to overflow in praise for a God who desires to have a people with himself that can receive his smile and his goodness forever. That is promised to common, regular people like us. We will rest in glory with you when Jesus Christ comes back for us. We believe. We have faith. Strengthen our faith during these days. We ask it, Lord Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.